Hi y'all, this is Soraya, and I just wanted to come to y'all with a disclaimer. Crystal and I are recording remotely now and experimenting with different opportunities for editing and uh, tech capabilities to keep moving with the podcast. We really needed to talk and uh, discuss and archive this moment, and so Our audio quality in this early experimentation is not the same as our last episode and we are working on getting clearer audio with smoother transitions to you. Um, So please keep that in mind as you're listening and let us know how you feel about the content. Bye. crystal i'm i'm good i'm hanging in there i mean i think my default is i'm good (laughs) but it's a lot going on i'm pretty overwhelmed Mm -hmm. how are you i'm there too um yeah to unpack some of this uh with you and like talk about it um also who are you so i'm a student um I'm a organizer. I'm a amateur artist. I'm <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What else do you want me to give the folks? I think that's good. I am Soraya. I skip being an amateur. You are artist if you say you won. Thank you. Um Amateur in comparison to who? Um, That's the tea. I am an organizer. I am a person uh, kind of rock and roll during this uh, time that we end. It is March 23rd of the year of our Lord 2020. And I'll be honest, she wants to fight or transform us maybe both um and this is women of color organizing podcast we are archiving black queer um perspectives on media current events and social justice topics yeah it's strange to not be like shoulder to shoulder right now you know but yeah agreed this is our first episode um not being in the same place. Shout out to your, our local public library that has been allowing us to record uh, there for a while. Where have you been? Where have we been? Where has the Woco pot been? Oh man, okay. So it has been a while. We did our last episode way back in early February. And since then, about at least six weeks have happened maybe more and we have well I think we could probably both share a little bit about what's been going on I know for myself um I was at the it's a Midwest LGBT conference and like every year it is somewhere in this general area but it's like it's been in areas like oh we're gonna be in Chicago and you're like yeah that's totally the Midwest and then you have other times where it's just like oh yeah we're gonna be in like was it like not like Kansas and we're like interesting <laughs> So this, this year it was in Kalamazoo at Western Michigan University. 
and I went there with some of our, of like the students from the organization I work with. We facilitated a workshop on visioning and like why different groups of like oppressed people would organize around a lefty framework for change. And then after that, we everybody wrote letters to their future selves um, of just like, what's a victory for my community? And then like, what would it feel like to be living in the immediate aftermath or sometime in the aftermath of that victory? Um, it was a really good workshop. Some of my, the students, one of the students that went with me, that was the first time that she'd ever facilitated. Um, and we also like, they put us at the very beginning, like morning, Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m. And 65 people came. That is a turnout. It has a turnout. Um, and so that was really exciting. I think it was because our organization was offering something that wasn't happening, like wasn't being offered in a lot of the spaces. And so it was like, um, I think generally with LGBT, like big, heavily sponsored spaces, it's a lot of like general, we want general goodness in the world, sort of like liberalism yeah. um, without much of a commitment to a specific, like a specific theory of change, a specific mode of operation that is radical. And so us being there like, we are here, we, this entire, like, entire facilitation team of people of color um, to share lefty perspectives on these things and offer, like, a historicized context um, for why they're happening and how to disrupt them. I think people just really wanted to see that. Um, or at least the people who came to the workshop really wanted to be a part of that space. Um, so that was really dope. Was a big step up from. I did a workshop at like the National LGBT Conference last year with one of my best friends, and ooh, we might need a whole episode to talk about that because <laughs> baby, <laughs> it had been a mess, and it wasn't because of us. Uh, yeah. It was because of like the the energy that was brought into the space was very like was very painful. Like folks were like having a really frustrating time at that conference, and. Um, when we asked them in the icebreaker, like, how you doing? They were like, here's how we're doing. <laughs> wow. And it was just like, ooh. I was glad to kind of be able to experience like a different kind of experience in a similar space um, and like build some of that trust back. That's one thing I did back in February, way back when. How about you? Well, first of all, I think th to respond to what you did, that's really cool. I think I went to one of your workshops that was not you know, identical to the one you just described, but it had a visioning portion and we had to write to our future selves. And it was really powerful. Like, I think I got a, a little bit emotional doing that activity, which was a surprise to me. But um, I guess that just speaks to the, the power of visioning, especially when the current material conditions are so traumatic for some people. Um, to then write your way out of that was very a very special moment for me. So I just wanted to offer that. Mm -hmm. What have I been doing? I don't know. What have I not been doing is a better question. Um, I remember early February, late March, we were supposed to get together to record. 
And I kept canceling and I felt so bad, but it was something around the weekend. My voice would just go away. And so I wonder if that was just like a, a personal, my body knew, my body was like, you're tired, you need to chill out. Um, so I'm glad I took that time and I'm glad that this platform is flexible for that. Um, and then, so I was at the midpoint in my semester. So just a lot of, a lot of academic stuff, um, a lot of paper writing. But then for spring break, I went to Oaxaca, Mexico. And that trip was, was very meaningful for me. I've been on a few other study abroads and I just didn't get the same energy. I didn't really like the places as much comparatively. Um, and I'm thinking part of my experience and part of why it was so meaningful is because the group was solely brown and black kids. And at the university I attend, that's something of an anomaly where I feel like I'm always the one or few people of color in every regard. And so for this to be a trip kind of by us, for us, it felt really special because we got to connect on a more authentic level without the white gaze. And I think that was really important for the way I was developing ideas about what I was experiencing. And I think I made a lot of good connections and a highlight. I mean, so Oaxaca specifically has an extensive indigenous culture and presence. I think they have over 80 indigenous groups. I could be wrong, but it was a lot to say the least and very traceable like pre-colonial history um and just witnessing that and learning about the ways these very sophisticated pre-colonial societies were organized and seeing how it is now was very interesting and part of the trip was a service trip so which i don't know i guess i have my qualms about but it felt like it was done in a very authentic way and it didn't feel like we were there to save anybody and we didn't have a particular mission. It was just throughout the day, we're here um, and we're able to help. And so my agency we volunteered for was one that uh, educated children and some adults um, on the spectrum with Down syndrome and other differently abled things. And so um, it was really, really interesting. And I, I feel like I learned so much more from the kids and the other students than they learned from me, which I felt a little bad about, but um, to be honest, and I speak, I can get by, with Spanish, like I can order food and I can ask very basic questions. But beyond that, I have a lot of difficulty. And so having to change my mode of communication was really interesting. Having to rely less on what I said and more on my disposition and how I felt was, um, was a challenge in itself, but it taught me a lot about communication and a lot about, uh, I wonder if it's, 
I can't remember who says this quote. It might be Adrian Marie Brown. It might be somebody else, but uh, move at the speed of trust. And that was something I experienced that whole week was, do these kids trust me, you know? Do I, with their boundaries, with their ideas, with their, even just for me to be in their space, you know? Do they trust that I have the right intentions and that I'm not here to exploit a story or I'm not here to, you know? And then it was like, do, do I trust them to respect my boundaries and to understand what I'm saying is truthful and valid and authentic? So that was, that was a lot. And it was definitely a growing experience. And I guess the part that was the most difficult was just the idea that a lot of times, specifically with these children with different needs, um, I didn't have verbalized consent to do certain things. So it's like, you know, if food falls out your mouth or if you fall down or, you know, do I have permission to wipe your face? Do I pick you up? Do it was very tricky because I'm so used to practicing, you know, verbal consent. And so then to have to rely on, it, you know, is this okay? Like nodding and things like that. It was really a challenge for me to feel comfortable um, doing what I thought was right and not necessarily having them tell me what they would like. So, um, so I was very relaxed and comfortable at the end of the trip when they on the last day they did this really nice dance for us and then they all well the ones who went to speak went up to the mic and shared something about um us being there it was like a group of five or six students uh, college students and you know, they said all lovely things and so I'm glad that you know some of my anxieties were at least calm but I'm glad that they enjoyed us just as much as we enjoyed them so that was Mexico. It was fabulous. I mean, the weather was great. And then the moment we landed on Sunday, Monday morning, I woke up to a, a message from our university's president, like, school's canceled indefinitely. Or like, in-person schooling is canceled indefinitely. And so that was really overwhelming for me, to say the least, because... I really like consistency and routine. And so coming back from something that was out of the norm into something that's not the norm was it's like, well, how do I pivot, you know? And then on top of that, in my mind, it's all these things that can arise from this crisis, right? Like there are gonna be a lot of people who need a lot of things right now. And there's gonna be a lot of harm caused right now. And people are dying. And all of these other very true, but heavy anxiety inducing thoughts were present for me. And so that was, that was pretty, I think Monday was pretty challenging because I, I guess I got the brevity of it. I wasn't really on Facebook over the weekend. And so then to go on Facebook and people are like, you know, losing their jobs or this, that, and the third. I mean, it was so heavy. I feel that. Um, thank you for sharing that. That was spring break. Um, how did you, like, so did you hear anything about the OVID before you left from the school? Yeah, I did, but it was almost 
in a threat neutralized rhetoric. It didn't seem like, um, I anticipated there were gonna be a few cases in the States, but it didn't click to me. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I just feel like because that week I wasn't really following the news, I wasn't here when everything was hitting the fan. Mm. When I left, it was like, oh, the virus is in Italy. And then when I came back, it was like, then when I came back, it was um, like, there three cases in my county. Mm. Like, did they give you any options for like, I know, because I, I feel like there was at least like flight coverage in a very like, it's a thing that's over there sort of way. Yeah. Um, going into those those like spring break weeks but i feel like like did they ever say anything like if you are concerned about traveling we'll give you your money back or anything like that no that's so weird not weird i guess for me that's a part of this that just demonstrates how just unprepared yes anything even vaguely out of the norm yeah take place the flu season happens every year yeah um like there's usually there's not like and i'm not, I'm not downgrading COVID because it's very it is very different from the flu when you're not talking specifically only about symptoms but like there's not there wasn't like a plan for and i think like universities across the country sort of demonstrated this there's not a plan for having to divert from the norm mm -hmm. and like i'll give i would if universities weren't such hostile oppressive places i would give them credit for that um where it's just like most of us haven't lived through a global pandemic before so it makes sense that like you wouldn't know what to do but like get that because you feed thousands of people a day yeah. and house thousands of people a year and like the local economy of the university is consistently tied to the university, at least in like the bigger schools, like the ones that we went to. Mm -hmm. And so like, you, what do you mean you have to just shut down the door? Like you, to me, like from the outside, cause again, I'm not on campus anymore, but it was just like, oh, hey, something to really worry about. Business as usual to like, hey, so this is happening on the other side of the world, but I mean, like nothing big to worry about. Just be aware. So, like a very quick and swift escalation to actually, you know what? We're canceling in-person classes, and y'all, but y'all can stay in the dorms except wait, psych. Except go home, and we'll maybe figure out a rent credit. And like, yeah, just an ever-evolving escalation until we get to the point of like, actually, campus is deserted. Mm -hmm. We are like cutting if not if we're like we're either severely eliminating if not cutting the services that are like a part of what we offer mm -hmm. and we're also still grading your shit <laughs> yeah and you're also still responsible to turn in this now very 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 irrelevant essay or whatever because i think like some of my studies are already irrelevant just because 
sometimes it's just so esoteric and so inaccessible. And so, you know, I don't think it's that beneficial for my personal scholarship. And then to have to dedicate time to that in the middle of a pandemic feels almost silly, you know? And it's, it's, again, it's one of those things where it's just like, I'm longing to be a part of a society that can just respond to a situation like this. Like maybe, maybe everybody being calm is like, which is like not where we're at, but just like offering like, here's a tangible, here's tangible next steps, here's specifics based on like guidelines that will keep us because like the other piece of this there was two things that I've kind of been watching as this has been unfolding is that um you've got like the state and the institutional response of just like the timelines of when they decided to take notice when they decided to intervene and disrupt the program that they're used to and you also have like the individual and the public response um and those two things have created just an overall like we're experiencing this pandemic um that is just like amount that is amounted in a lot of places to like wildness <laughs> um that's rona and spring break so the michigan primary is um or was march 10th which yeah. was the tuesday after um, the university or the universities, the local universities, uh, spring break. And so like, as part of just like, one of the jobs I do, it was just like getting folks excited and like educated around the election. And so we were all like, I was, I was in one part of the state for the weekend and like talking to like the students that I work with over there. Then I came to another part of the state and like did the election thing like um in my local area and like there's a lot of like trying to get people like reminding people that Michigan now has same day voter registration and so like this was the first election where people could um register and vote at their county clerk's office because there was also like, there's no, there was like no reason absentee ballots for the first time too. So it's like, if you weren't registered, like let's say you were an out-of-state student or something, you could register in the state. And then because your precinct might be, or like, even if you were like a domestic, like an in-state student, maybe your precinct would be like in the upper peninsula or something, you could then register either register it can be like to your local area or like register your normal precinct and get an absentee ballot and file that and like across the state specifically in like the more densely populated university towns the clerk's offices were just overwhelmed and i don't know i don't know what it takes to be a county clerk so i i'm i try not to use the terms like like ill-prepared or whatever but like three hours cast a ballot and um skip the rhetoric that says like you should have done it earlier blah 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 because like the point is that there are it is supposed to be a mechanism a process a space for people to be able to register to vote in person per the guidelines that were like like enacted after people voted for them in the last michigan election and so then to 
um, to have this happen, multiple, not just like one or two clerk's offices, but like multiple clerk's offices across the country, like the state, um, to not be able to like be prepared for the, or like to not like be efficient in the face of like this new opportunity um, was very frustrating. There, there had been two years to like get ready for this moment and maybe they took preparations and they weren't like able to meet the need, but it was just like wild. And so running around, I, for me, I was running around until like it got into the evening closer to the polls closing. Um, and then until like 11 that night, like waiting for updates and trying to get updates about like who was still in line um, when the polls had closed at like eight. Um, so yeah, it was just so much. <laughs> um, and then the next day, <laughs> the state of emergency was declared in our state by the governor about, about Rona. And it was just like, what else can you do? Yeah, what else can you do? So yeah, so that's where we've been. We've been in a state of uh, emergency and instability. Yeah. Oh, alrighty. So, I mean, now that now you know why we've been gone for so long. Now you know. Um, how are you feeling, Crystal? Now that we've gotten that out. I feel good. I feel. And and some simple way I think sharing in the hysteria makes me feel better yeah I feel that I've definitely been sort of like teeter-tottering between like that's not my panic to hold this is not my apocalypse this is what it is I'm gonna release the things I can't control to like oh my fucking just like there's no like yeah um, so it does make me feel better to kind of like uh, just kind of speak about it in an even tone, trying to hold all the things way. So I appreciate you, as always. appreciate you, too. And it's, I guess, something else that I have to ground myself in. I've been trying this week to just be more present, to hopefully regain some of my attention span. But so all this is going on, all this has been going on and yet we're still here and we're still talking about it and we still have a lot of the of the privileges we had before right and so it's like oh this is really bad this is really messed up and in some ways we are very resilient so that's helpful for me resilient and privileged that's something that i've been like sitting with um throughout this period of just like there's just there's not a balanced way for some for folks to experience a pandemic mm-hmm. um and like you've got folks who are just like kicked out of their dorms and like displaced this period or and you have folks who are like like very rapidly being like like laid off fired in this moment um and it's just there's a, there's a there's been a mixture of like community responses that have been coming together to try and create resources um, for folks. I'll try to link them in the ones that I know of in the description of this podcast. Um, but yeah, we are 
there's just so much happening here in this this moment of this pandemic feels very I I wish transformations and just personal growth could just come in the sort of just like like the flowers just grow out of the earth sort of like chill way that just has beauty all throughout it and like has beauty at the end but really this is I think a painful transitional moment um that's just gonna that just makes every create this like a different everything when it concludes um and it's totally it's above us <laughs> like there's there's things that we can do and there's like the the sort of like engaging in the things that you can do part of this that hopefully we'll be talking about in future episodes and all throughout um but there's also just the overwhelming part of it of just like somewhere in the universe something sent us all to our room like i've seen that tweet um i don't know who was the originator of it but something someone was just like you know what time out time out think about what you've done figure out what this what this shit means um and the earth will keep spinning with or without y'all like whether you can go to work or not um and you have to reckon with that shit too yeah I think um, privilege is a very important topic in this whole discussion. I think. I love letters. So, Crystal, do you want to tell folks what the love letters are? Yes. So, the love letters are a portion of the podcast where we give love and libations to people, things, groups that are in this phase with us that are allowing us to experience a lot of love or healing or trust or respect or whatever. So I don't know if I did that justice, but that's how I understand the love letters. Lit, yeah, that's it. Um, I think it would be cool also to use this moment to talk about something that's been grounding us, maybe in like, in like healing or good ways um yeah do you want to start us off um yeah I think I don't know if this is too broad but these like mutual aid support networks are really what we need what we've always needed um and now they're just hyper present and really active and i would love to find ways where it can reach the most impacted people the people who don't have internet access or the facilities to to use the internet um but for what for where we are and for what it is I have really appreciated being in some of these mutual aid support groups um, and seeing the ways that, seeing both sides of the coin, right? On one side, I'm seeing people hoarding toilet paper and all these other things, right? And some for very valid reasons and some reasons may be valid, but a little, it needs a little unpacking. And on the other hand, I see people 
going out of their way to provide childcare and um, giving school supplies to children and giving food to families and helping people get reconnected with their water and really working towards moratoriums on rent and all these, like there's some really amazing things happening and it inspires me and also makes me believe that if we are in stage capitalism, when things do start to unravel, if we can sustain and reinforce these institutions and these mutual support networks, it can lay the ground for some really transformative change and sustainability. And to me, although I'm very grateful for some of these groups, I also feel like we should have been doing this. And I think this was a wake up call. This was the call that said, we have an obligation to be in community with each other and to, if we do have privilege, work to counteract or work to redistribute. Um, and I think that is really an important message. I also think that um, in that, this is also a great time for a deeper and broader class consciousness, right? So some of the theory that I've been proximal to and, and interested in and learning about is also being lived. And so having a, a, a very real reality where some people are trying to understand what it means to be to have your labor exploited or to be disposable by this economic system and i'm hoping that we can i mean and it's also just so again broad it's not there's always this illusion of middle class so i'll refer to it for for understanding's sake but it's impacting everybody everybody is experiencing real job insecurity and i should say most people but most people are experiencing healthcare insecurity most people don't have basic human rights right and i think that fortunate virus and our response to it as a government exposing some of some of these deeper social welfare flaws um, has led for some people to realize their, or assume their role in, in this whole unraveling process. And I think that that gives me a lot of hope and that's really grounding for me. It's like, I think we're on the edge of something and um, it can be up to us the way we, work through it oh i saw a funny meme <laughs> sorry my mind works in memes at this point with all this internet um it was like you call it self-quarantine i call it general strike practice <laughs> and i thought that was really funny because it's true right i mean a lot of these service 
um, grocery service, childcare, all these things that we exploit so heavily are the backbone of our society. These are the people we need most now. And it, and we've always needed most, but now it's just becoming so relevant. And I think, um, I think for people to realize their, their power within that, um, I think it was my dad said, every, um, you know, for black people, you have value at the point of production. And I think that can be applicable to other groups, but it's true, right? If our value is at the point of production, looks what, look at what happens when we re remove ourselves from that process and how this entire economic system and web cannot be legitimated, cannot function without our participation. And I think that's a really big point. So that was kind of uh, loaded, but <laughs> in, in, in brief, my love letter is to these, these people who are in the middle of a pandemic and starting book clubs and starting, you know, indoor concerts and uh, virtual tutoring and saying, you know what, a lot of us can depend on the establishment to meet our basic human rights anyway. And so we will continue the fight for, I guess, self, um, self-liberation, essentially. So I think, I think that's who I want to give my love letter to. All y'all who are like in these groups trying to figure out all these professors who are like, yeah, we are significantly reducing the amount of assignments we have. Oh my gosh. Sorry, my computer is... Um, yeah, I think that is huge and incredible. And we deserve it as students. <laughs> we don't deserve to, I think it's a really privileged assumption to assume that most people are just sitting around in their free time. People have families to support. People have to support themselves. People have real life anxiety, real life other things. And it's really hard to read about economic liberalism in the middle of a pandemic. And I appreciate these professors, not all, but some are really showing up. One of my professors said, waived our second essay assignment for the course and said, I'll also give you a 0.3 boost. And it's something that I feel like is a pretty simple task on behalf of the professor that really give some people a lot of uh, space to deal with all of this to deal with right now. So thank you for the professors who are doing what they're, what they're doing. Thank you for the uh, mutual aid networks and groups. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the grocery store and food service workers and farmers who are still showing up, who are really sacrificing a lot to make sure that you know, we can still buy produce and medicine. Thank you to the pharmacists. Thank you to the Cuban doctors who flew out to Italy to help aid in their crisis. Um, thank you to China who has been donating lots of resources to help fight this global pandemic. Um, 
so yeah, I'm, that's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful to my friends too, who still call me or make group chats so that we all can talk and archive what we're feeling. I'm really thankful for, for all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm grateful for, um, yeah, I'm trying to like offer something that like you didn't already say. Sorry. I'm grateful for, yeah, just like organizers doing the organizer thing. And like my love is, uh, I dedicate so much of my love to like black and brown fans. Um, to be black and brown fem organize well black and brown fans in general um but also just like watching folks like i was to be honest like pretty exerted like at the end of last or not i guess it wasn't last week anymore it was like two weeks ago when this first emergency situation was like named in our state i it was all i could do to like get up and like i had to i had to pack to come home because it was just i have like medical conditions and stuff that just make it like and also I want to, to do I would prefer to be with my mom in this kind of situation um so I had to pack to like be somewhere where I could like get my medications and stuff I don't have like a car in my possession right now so it's like in order to be able to get food and groceries and stuff and like limit my contact with people I had to just be at home and like it was all I could do to get out of bed and pack. Like I was just like I was exhausted from the election, and I was mentally and emotionally like, like already pretty drained and anxious um, to begin with going into this. And like in those moments where like I was barely getting out of bed, I saw all of these mainly black and brown women and femmes like making and circulating these mutual aid forms to like connect people who can who had skills and like resources they wanted to share to people who needed them immediately um just seeing folks start to like yeah like you said like go out like go out of their way and also just sort of like like lift up their talents in order to make this moment bearable for more people um that always speaks to me and never ceases to amaze me um, shout out to folks who do disability justice and folks who are disabled, who have been like doing a lot of the shit that we've had to adapt for ages already without the like the green light and the structural support that I think a lot of folks are getting because this virus is now impacting also like a lot of able-bodied people um, and like other privileged people. Um, shout out to folks who are like, um, yeah, who have just, who have been doing this already and, like, who have been, like, needing these types of accommodations for a long, long time and haven't gotten them or have been, like, had to, like, put through the ringer of, like, messy structural things and still been denied them, um, who are now watching how possible all the things that could have made their participation, like, affirming and welcoming happen for folks who hadn't asked for it or needed it until this time. Shout out to archivists and artists and writers who are like sustaining, I know my sanity throughout all of this. Like I've been reading a lot more. I've been watching a lot of Netflix, Hulu, all the things. Actually skip them. I'm gonna cut them out. I'm gonna watch, I've been streaming things because I'm not being paid to 
um, <laughs> to, to advertise yet. Um, but, like, yeah, plus one to, like, um, the commitments to, like, sharing art and storytelling that we already had access to and to, like, all of the creativity that's been popping off since people have been at home. Um, uh, Chance the Rapper has a song on his album, I think it's called The Big Day, called um, I Got You. And, like, in my head, it's, like, my queer wedding song because um, it's just a lot of, like, harmonizing and singing, like, I got you always, but there's this one line that's been playing over and over in my head that said, I think I think he's talking about like getting married, potentially, I don't know, or something else. I In my head, it's getting married, and he's talking about, it's like, it's supposed to be super bad, like we won't stay. It's supposed to be super scary, like we don't pray. And sort of that just like, like people giving us advice or people like panicking or people just trying to like offer their critiques or whatever of like what it is we're doing or how it is we're trying to live is not like it's supposed to be like it's supposed to be impossible according to y'all it's supposed to be too scary to overcome according to y'all but like this is our business um and we're not worried about y'all and we're not not worried about that um or we're committing at least in this moment even if we are freaked out to keep going and that's just been speaking to me um so shout out to that song also something that I was thinking about during your love letter is how school, especially university, is created to be very isolating. And I think we talked about this a little bit last episode. I could unpack the what that like means and what that does at some point. But you are like a lot of us removed from our families, removed from like removed physically, like geographically, like going from one city to another to get educated living in a student environment, seeing other students and professors pretty much every day, all day, eating on campus, sleeping on campus, working on campus, all creates this environment where there are, even if there, even if there are folks who do experience a lot of distractions, there's a lot less distractions than you would normally have. Like thinking back to high school when like your little sisters could come in the room and like distract you from your homework or like whatever else. And so like, this situation, I think, is demonstrating the sort of, like, the very delicate space that college creates of, like, intensity and focus so they can make really high, I think it's often used to, like, exert the most production out of you as possible. Like, you can go to work to do different jobs and to three different classes in a day if all of them are in walking distance. Um, And those things help a university function but they also help people survive. And I, and like this moment, I think when you mentioned like your professors kind of just reminded me of like, oh yeah, like that is a very unique living experience that is hard, that is not really replicable. Like even if all your, if everybody in your household is saying like, be quiet, this person is in school right now. There's still going to be other things. You're going to smell somebody cooking. You're going to hear the TV come on. You might have a sibling that wants to play. And then that changes the dynamic what you're doing in comparison to being at school so yeah those are our love letters do you want one more sorry yeah no can i give a love letter to um black people's sense of humor i mean i've been cracking up it's like like from the state of overwhelmed anxious to 
gasping for air because this is just so funny like and it is a, a survival mechanism and it is um creative and i just think it's even like us calling it rona you know like giving a nickname to this very scary you know super huge thing um but to make it i guess tangible and to make it lighthearted and to make it yes all this is happening and we are probably some of the most impacted people and we're still experiencing we can still experience some joy you know for me it does at least temporarily remove some of the heaviness of what's going on so thank y'all for being hilarious um so so call not section is as it sounds um our moment to sort of talk about something that's been on our minds a lot. Um, offer some thoughts and perspectives on like what's been happening, as well as just hopefully push out frustrations um, in a constructive way. So, Crystal, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, yeah. So the president of our university quite literally had to release a statement that told students that he was very discouraged and confused about the fact that there were long lines at bars in the center of a pandemic. I think that was a gross display of privilege and super, I just can't even fathom why that would be a good idea. and. I've had some people I've known go out during the middle of this and I was joking with a friend one day and I'm like, well, um, why, <laughs> question mark? And they were like, well, you know, even if I do get sick, I won't be sick for long. And so I guess it just really, to me, exposed the self-centered nature of uh the way we view health and community care and that was really i guess eye-opening to me i wonder if it's because i'm hyper uh, conscious of this virus uh and it and the ways it impacts older people much more um i don't say lethally but it impacts older people much more because I'm around a lot of older people, but it's not, it's hard because there's so many levels of, of why I, I, <laughs> I don't understand why people would want to go out during this time. But I guess I just want to say it's not an isolated virus, right? If you catch it, it won't just be you. And you could literally lead to somebody's premature perishment if you were to spread this virus. And I think that is reason enough not to go clubbing at this precise moment. Um, and that also made me think about the privilege conversation and how, like any, thing that is massively uh, traumatic, it will impact different people differently, 
and some people will be better off than others. And that's why I'm, my concern is how do we get the people who are not ex experiencing immediate material threat to be the ones showing up for people who are? Because quite literally, a lot of people are a few or one paycheck or accident or whatever away from being a very vulnerable person in this crisis. And I think, I think it's been, so that external challenge of figuring out why it is that so many young people are being a little bit reckless with their health and potentially the health of other people. And also this internal question of, I am able-bodied. I am not experiencing direct material insecurity. How am I helping? You know, how am I showing up and what capacity do I think I'll be the most impactful? what capacity will be the most enjoyable? And I still have a lot of questions unanswered, but I think being here, for example, and archiving, this is what's going on from inside the belly of the bees, right? And showing up for my friends in whatever social distance way I can and trying to make myself flexible um, and, and answering the ask that I'm getting has been really important and grounding for me. And so it's like, I'm trying to do all of this and also I have to read like half a book tonight. And so trying to balance priorities and it's been it's been difficult, but yeah, I just want to call out the um, pretty, pretty gross displays of privilege that I've been witnessing and the irresponsibility of some community members, right? Because we are in a community. And if you do get sick and have to go out and about, you are endangering other people. And I think we have to stop um, you have to stop caring about things when it's when it becomes too late. Yeah. I have been frustrated by that too. And it kind of for me goes back to this reality that like capitalism and individualism do not typically inspire like <laughs> the quote unquote best in people in the sense of like our ability as social creatures to support each other, build community um, and look out for each other. And this like this moment in time has definitely like showed that for me. Like, and again, like this is again, there's a lot of privilege that comes with being geographically even just placed where we are, not to mention like economically and stuff but like to see shelves be bare in grocery stores not not even because production has fully stalled but because people are so panicked about even the possibility of going without that they that they take more than what they need at best 
and at worst, hoard to sell at huge markups, um, like toilet paper and like Lysol wipes and stuff like that, which I've heard that like Amazon and like I think like eBay or something have, have been like cracking down on. Like if we see like Lysol wipes for like a huge markup, we're canceling, you know, like we're, we're pulling that down. Um, what is the least that? can be done um but it's just it's very frustrating like I think I, I read this article a while ago that said like some guy in a different state he went to a bunch of different stores and like bought out cleaning supplies just to sell them and then these market these online marketplaces that would normally host those things were like nope you're not doing that here and now he just has them and it's just like how like, I can't speak to anybody's need. And, like, I know that, like, I, I really do believe that sometimes those types of decisions are based on people having a need. It's, like, I can afford lifestyle life at the regular price. And, and like, having a boost of some sort of income can help me and my family, you know, have what we need. But it's just, like, fuck that. Like, why, like the fact that, like, capitalism creates so, or so much desperation. Um unnecessarily like I, I had read like this idea of like creating scarcity when there is none but like to see it play out on the shelves like in the grocery store has been its own sort of just like damn really moment for me and so that's been very frustrating and, I, and that individualism translates into our social engagements like what you were talking about folks just deciding to go out and it's like one of those things where it's just like you can't have a loving communicative cooperative society with in a framework like capitalism because they don't they're they are dynamically like like diametrically opposed um and it's just like we've we've managed uh but like we're not reaching what we could be reaching if we weren't so focused on um operating in that way and it's so deeply frustrating because it's entirely preventable totally unnecessary in a structure where we're where we're socialized to look out for each other in that way um and so yeah and like again like kind of rooted in archiving so the governor of our state take a deep breath <laughs> the governor of our, of our state uh issued a shelter in place order effective for at least the next three weeks um today and it's one of those things where it's just like i'm this article that i'm looking at isn't really like breaking down all of what that means um or like what it entails people will still be able to like leave to like get crucial things like like go to the pharmacy take brief extra moments of exercise um like get food and stuff like that so it's no reason to like it's frustrating but it doesn't have to be a reason to panic but it's one of those things where it's just like if you had been if folks had been taking it upon themselves to practice the social distancing hashtag stay at home stuff before it wouldn't have taken it, it shouldn't have had to take the state to create measures that will probably very likely come with policing communities that are already over policed that are already vulnerable to like situations that would could involve like law enforcement coming to their homes whether it be because they're black because they are um folks who are migrants because of any other reason um but now now movement is gonna ha is going to be policed and questioned um when it didn't have to be if folks 
had taken it upon themselves everywhere possible because again it's not possible for every group of people or every like job but if, if folks had just taken that those moments to like make this this simple self but not simple again not simple I don't want to underplay this moment but like to take the course corrections that they could have in order to prevent the state like triggering the state to do something like this then like we, we wouldn't be in this moment um and things like this like it's just again like preventable um and so it's frustrating like the fact that we're going to come out of this probably with a lot of folks having to talk about um having to encounter the police more or having to like fear for their safety um in ways like that magnifies the ways that they're that they were already experiencing it is very is devastating to me and all of this has been preventable same thing with like even the national response to COVID is like I'm sure like this like state like like government intel um put this on a legislature and like a government the governance whatever structures are in place I watched scandal damn it and I know <laughs> that somebody knew for a while and like precautions could have been taken in such a way that could have limited the spread um screening every like just like that could have created like cre increased like opportunities for screening access to resources so that we even just know how many cases are in which place because honestly um if you're only talking people who have come in contact with the virus or who have traveled with a virus that is that a lot of folks can be asymptomatic of or that won't have their symptoms incubated for 14 days it's easier to assume that you have it <laughs> until you're tested than it is to assume that you're not um at least from like what i've read so yeah it's frustrating that we're at this moment because it's entirely it's been entirely preventable or at least um preventable to the scale that we're seeing yeah i think that's really important especially i was thinking the same thing when i saw the stay in place orders in the other states and other countries um our intergroup relations are not that good and already black and brown people um are so traumatized and harassed by law enforcement and because i don't know what this looks like in practice yet right i've seen it what it said on paper i'm worried that this will be another way to terrorize people trying to live their life um i think it's important right i think we should try to stay in our homes and at that same time um i don't trust police right so we will see and i think you also raised a good point about um the the scarcity right the perceived scarcity and the empty shelves and how <laughs> people are remarking well this is how it will be under socialism or communism and it's like well this is quite literally how it is under capitalism right and i think that can be metaphorical of where we're at right now um and how it does feel like sometimes we're at this crossroad 
where we can continue to hypercapitalize or we can move more towards socialism and a, and a better social welfare system and state. And this is, I don't know, it's, it, it's, some of it is scary and has really serious drawbacks, but this is also an engaging time to witness, witness us kind of reach this intersection. Thank you for uplifting those things. If I were like in the mindset to kind of dig into my little, my little black mystic self, I would have a lot to say. And I do have a lot to say about the fact that like, because of this moment we're in, it has pushed the like Republican held uh, like state government to even speak the adaption of like minimum, some sort of minimum income. Um, and like, I know it's not like gonna look different depending on like which, like what legislators are trying to put it forth and it's gonna, I might not even be all of what is necessary for this moment. But the fact that I couldn't even have like pictured a world where those things would be said during a press briefing, but here we are, <laughs> speaks to the very major transitions that are transformations um, that are underway. And if we can just figure out how to support each other in the interim, we can be looking at a very, very different world by this when we are pulling out of this. Absolutely. When I was listening to uh, Trump talk about these stimulus packages, I'm like, what? You gonna do what? And so, and of course, <laughs> his word is about, <laughs> well, whatever. But the point is, it was something that I never, I've never heard before and for that to be popular in our discourse is interesting and it's also ironic because so many people so many black and brown people specifically are judged because they are welfare recipients um even though 63 percent of users are white women um and it's funny how now that it's being labeled and wrapped in this veil of oh this is a stimulus package this is something different um it's more tolerable to people somehow even though it's the exact same uh exact same thing so i think yeah i think that was a really great example of where we could move to where we are going right now recentering so that we can close out the like Rona episode one. <laughs> um, is it cool if I just do like a quick sort of like, this is what we talked about in the podcast. So um, as a general uh, recap, we talked a little bit about like where we've been at. Um, excited to be back is the short version. Um, we gave love letters to mutual aid networks, um, building a class consciousness in the time of uh, responding to COVID-19, um, love letters to profs who are honoring the moment and adjusting the realities, expectations, um, love letters to um, all the folks who are going out every day to work and that making it possible for the rest of us to survive 
have produce, be able to still see doctors, um, be able to, like, yeah, just survive. So, like, love to y'all who are also, like, now being categorized as essential staff without the paychecks to prove it um, or the protections you deserve to do your work. Um, Love letters to people from the two in the disability justice and also disabled community who've been doing a lot of this stuff for um, ages are like needing these types of like resources that are just now because this virus is impacting like able more able like able-bodied people um are becoming a norm like remote classes remote work that kind of thing um love letters to archiving and keeping track of this moment to music that's giving us joy um calling out individualism and capitalism as always but particularly with coronavirus um and we'll be coming at you with our first media review of no name's album telephone so be on the lookout for that um yeah any last thoughts for our Not particularly, but I want to thank the listeners of the WOCO pod. Um, We really appreciate people who listen and also people who engage. There have been people reaching out to me asking about when the next episode would come out and just being generally supportive. And we appreciate that. I think we love this space for a lot of reasons and we are excited that we can revel in that. Heck yeah. And you can find us. Um, you can find us on Instagram. We are also now on Facebook and Twitter at WOCOPOD, W-O-C-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. So like, yeah, share with us. Uh, how you're experiencing the episode, other things in media we should review. Um, excited to get back into this community space um, and like archiving our experiences and what's going on. So yeah, thank you for your time and we will be back next time. Yeah, and make sure you follow us on Instagram. At- yeah, for real Woco Pod, that is W O C O P O D. We actually have listeners in the US, France, and Canada. Isn't that, I think that's dope. Yes. So thank you all for listening um, and follow us on our Instagram for more updates. Thanks. Um, bye, y'all. Bye.